You are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Broad River Church. Let's get ready to listen to God's Word. Thank you, Broad River family. Let's everybody turn around and look at somebody you don't know and bless them. Awesome. Now we're all blessed, aren't we? Well, we were all blessed before, but we're really blessed now. Thank you, Pastor Kevin, for that wonderful introduction. Thank you, Pastors Kevin and Jacinta, for this amazing opportunity. I am so glad to be able to bring the word of the Lord this week. And if I may indulge just a moment, thanks. Hey, Mom, (laughs) my mom (laughs) is one of those faithful family members that tunes in online every week to watch us. Uh, The online streaming service is a blessing to my family because not just my mom, but a lot of my family can actually join in. We're all in the same place, getting the same word, even though they're 750 miles away. So hi, mom. Thank you. Um, All right. So our story this week in the Yes, You series is on Gideon and it's in the, it's found in the book of Judges. It's on the left side of your Bible. If you're going to use one of the blue Bibles around you, it's page 205. It's the next book over from Joshua, which is where Mike did such an awesome job last week telling the story of Rahab. Give it up for Mike. Woo! I love the book of Judges, and not just because one of the judges is my namesake. One of the 12 judges is named Deborah, so like I kind of stay in the book a bit. Um, The book of Judges takes place during the transition period between the children of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt, led by Moses and Joshua, and when their nation is set up and they've established kings, starting with Saul. So you got this transition period in here. And um, they spent many years coming out of bondage, 40 actually, and our story takes place a little bit after Jericho was conquered, which is what Mike preached about last Sunday. Now they're getting settled in the promised land that God had given them. God had asked them to remove anything from the land that might distract them from their worship of him. All those other gods, little g. But they didn't do that and left God to worship false idols many times. Every time they did, God would send in a leader or a judge to bring them back to him. Just like the series we're in now, the whole book of Judges is all about God asking unknown and sometimes quirky people to rise to the challenge and do what he needs to done. In this case, bring the children of Israel back after they've strayed from his presence and design. He used people that we would least expect to be used doing God's work. As we're going to see, Gideon is one of those individuals. He's one that's most written about in Judges. He's got parts of three chapters, chapters 6, 7, and 8. Other judges get as little as a few verses. But no matter whether three chapters or just a few verses, we're going to see that God's plan is always successful. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my heart and my meditations, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. I stand on your truth that your word will not return void. Amen. Have you ever said, I can't do this? I just can't do this and wanted to give up? Maybe it was something going on at home or at work. Maybe a season in your life that was overwhelming. Perhaps it was something you felt God was asking you to do, but you didn't feel prepared or doubted your ability. I've been there. 
Five years ago yesterday, my husband of 32 years, John, passed away. So I can tell you exactly what I was doing five years ago today. I was sitting in my living room, just beginning to realize that my entire world had crashed down around me. I had no children to be with me. The rest of my family lived 750 miles away. I was completely alone. I, was, I had only lived in the area for nine months and that was spent nursing my husband 24 seven. I knew only a couple of neighbors, had no understanding of the community. And I, the only places I'd been were the grocery store, work and the hospital. I was totally afraid of how I was gonna survive and make it in this place. I was most definitely overwhelmed with my situation and the per prospect of my future. In times like that, we see only the impossibilities in a situation. While God is trying to show us our role in his story of redemption. This is just where Gideon was. The story of Gideon starts with the Israelites being oppressed by one of the nations that were already living in the promised land that they were supposed to have kicked out, but they didn't, the Midianites. The Israelites stopped worshiping God and started worshiping the false local gods. God removed his protection when they stopped following him, and that's when the Midianites came in. They were coming into the Israelites' land. They were tearing down all the crops, killing all the animals, and leaving the Israelites nothing to feed their families. They'd been doing this for seven years. So God sends an angel to speak to a man named Gideon, and the angel finds him hiding in a wine press and he's trying to thresh wheat for his family. He's hiding. Judges six, starting with verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel for the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, please Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Notice how the angels call in Gideon a mighty man of valor while he's hiding in a wine press. He certainly sees something in Gideon that Gideon apparently doesn't see in himself. Gideon was very timid and unsure of his abilities or calling and saw himself as the least. How we respond to God and situations is directly based on our perception of ourself. If we see ourselves as a failure, inadequate or insufficient, that's how we're gonna to respond to the situation and to God. But if we see ourselves as God sees us, powerful, complete, and with unlimited resources at our disposal, then we're able to respond as God would have us. Do you remember when this guy named Peter walked on water in the gospels? Peter's in the boat, Jesus is out on the shore, and he calls to Peter, come to me, and Peter, Bold, gets out of the boat and starts walking on water, literally walking on water. But then he begins to doubt. He looks down at his feet and he starts to sink. 
You know, that's really gets me. The dude was walking on water. How are you not going to believe that you can walk on water when you're doing it? Okay. Just goes to show you, if we take our eyes off Jesus, we can sink in even the most powerful times of his presence. David, on the other hand, who we're going to see next week, believed God would help him defeat Goliath and never wavered, not even when his family told him he wouldn't be able to do it. And he did defeat Goliath. Back to Gideon. Because the story is three chapters long, I'm going to retell it here instead of reading it. But I challenge you to go back and read it, all of it, for yourself. It's a true representation of our God's ability to win battles and how he uses us to do it. So Gideon starts his conversation with the angel of God by asking why God allowed this to happen and when is he going to stop it? So classic. Does this sound familiar to anyone? First, we complain to God about some trouble as if it was God that caused it and it's his fault. And second, we demand to know what God is going to do about it. The children stopped worshiping God. That's what caused all of this. But even though it was the children that did it, God chooses to bring us out of it, even when we start it. Then when the angel tells him that God is going to use Gideon to do it, Gideon says, dude, I am not that guy. I am the least of the least. Throughout the rest of the chapter, Gideon tests the angel, starting with who the angel really is in the next few verses. He asks the angel to wait while Gideon goes and makes him something to eat. The angel, so patient, says he will, and Gideon goes to roast a goat and make some bread. Like we're not talking about three minutes in a microwave here to heat something up, okay? We're talking about leaving the angel of the Lord for hours while you go roast a goat. Like I'm sitting there thinking the angel of the Lord, he's tapping his staff, he's singing worship songs, he's looking around at all the people. How are you going to do the angel of God that way? Leave him alone while you go roast a goat. Hours later, Gideon comes back with roasted goat and fresh bread and he lays it on a rock. The angel touches the food with his staff and fire springs from the rock and consumes it. I don't know about you, but that would tell me I'm talking to God. The angel of God tells Gideon twice that he can do it because God is one sending him and God is gonna be with him. Then he tells him to tear down all the pagan nations, the Midianites, and the God's little G who are oppressing God's people, starting with the altars in his own community. Gideon says, okay, but he's really afraid of how his family and friends are gonna see it because they're worshiping the same false gods that everybody else is. He's gonna obey, but he decides to do it at night so no one sees him. Notice that God, who's already told Gideon he would use him to defeat the Midianites, started with victory in his own community. How are we gonna to speak to nations if we aren't willing to speak to family? You may be wondering how all this is significant to us today. Tearing down false gods' idols doesn't seem like a 21st century happening. But actually, we face these fears all the time. 
When we moved up here almost six years ago, one of the things I was really looking forward to was going to the grocery store and not seeing anybody I knew. I lived in the small community of Maryville, Tennessee, Murrable if you're from around there, and ran into somebody I knew every single time. I was constantly ducking and dodging in the aisles, trying to evade someone that I saw that came in. I was so thrilled to be moving to the New York metropolitan area with 20 million people. Surely I could go to the grocery store and not see somebody I knew. But the question really is, is why didn't I wanna see them? Because I knew I needed to invite them to some church function. Was I scared to talk to them about coming to church with me or even about God in general? Or sometimes, if I'm honest, I was ducking other Christians. I came for milk and eggs and they wanna talk about Jesus. I just wanted to get my stuff and go home. A place this really connects us to Gideon is in our families. We're scared to mention God to our families or invite them to be with us on Sunday because of how they might respond or because they might know us. They know we're not perfect. They live with us and they see all our failings. They might use it against us. Like if your God's so real, how are you so broken? But Gideon's dad had the right attitude. The next morning when the crowd found their idols broken down, an altar to God set up and they figured out it was Gideon who did it, they got really mad. But Gideon's dad spoke up and said, he just told the crowd, if your idol really is a God, then let him defend himself. If he's real, he's capable. We should be so bold in our conversations with our family and our friends. If your God is real, let him defend himself. One thing about the book of Judges and Gideon specifically that we see and can connect with today is it's very easy to fall back into sin and worship idols. Maybe not at a false God's temple. Our idols in today's world are along the lines of consumerism, comparison to others, self in general. Self rules in our culture, not Christ. And just like Gideon's day, we have to be continually brought back. In Judges, every time the children of Israel would stray from worshiping God, God would raise up someone, a judge, who would bring the children back. It happened 12 times in Judges alone. You'd think that would get old to God after a while. But what we learn from it about God's nature is that God is patient with us, even now. Another thing that passage and most of the Old Testament teaches us is that we can't do this on our own. We just can't seem to stay in the middle of God's presence on our own. God saw this and he sent his son so that Jesus could take our sins and our inability to remain in his presence to the cross with him and give us the grace and mercy to put him first. And just like Gideon, God is patient, forgiving, and constantly with us. So Gideon is still struggling to believe God has the right person and ask for more proof even after the angel brings fire from a rock. That told Gideon who he was talking to, but Gideon now needs to know he's really the one that God is calling. Judges 6, verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you've said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. 
Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. God is so good and patient with us and has such grace. He did what Gideon asked him every time. And we're talking over days here, not minutes. I don't know about you, but I have done this so many times. Like I'm driving down the road and I believe God is asking me to do something for him, speak to someone, help someone in need. And I'm saying like, God, if this is you and you really want me to do this, will you please make the next 10 stoplights green? That might be a little self-serving actually. I see him shaking his head at my lack of faith and my desire to get somewhere fast. Gideon never did say no. He just needed confirmation after confirmation that God really wanted to use him. Even though Gideon constantly tells God he's not that guy and is constantly looking for God to prove himself, God doesn't hit him with a lightning bolt. I'm afraid I might have if it had been me. I'm glad God is more gracious and merciful than I am. He actually does all Gideon asks of him so that Gideon finally accepts God's reality and agrees to do what God asks. Here's something you can write down in your notes if you're taking them. Faith and fear both demand you believe in something you cannot see. You choose. We have the choice every time, Bob Proctor. A scene from the 2020 animated movie Onward shows the timid brother Ian being encouraged, encouraged on a quest by his older brother Barley. One scene shows the characters finding an invisible bridge at a large ravine. Let's watch. I love his statement, believe with every step. You can't just believe one time. You gotta believe with every single step that you take. But he went every single step of the way. Ian had the ability to complete the quest, even though he was unsure of himself. God is like Barley standing behind him, encouraging him to go on and trust. Gideon's unsure of himself and of God's ability. God must show Gideon that God is more capable of using him to deliver Israel. Did you know that studies show 91% of fears never come true? In other words, 91% of the time we spend being afraid is wasted. Actually, 100% because the other 9% God's got. The effect of fear on our life tends to make us immobile. It paralyzes us 
we're so afraid of doing something and something bad happening that we just don't do anything at all. Ryan Duncan says, Gideon was afraid, but when he finally put his trust in God and obeyed, the Israelites were freed from seven years of oppression. There will always be moments in life when we're worried about giving ourselves over to God. But the truth is we can trust him with our tomorrow. Obedience does not require us to be fearless. It only asks that we have the faith to follow God in difficult times. Here's another statement you can put in your notes. Courage doesn't come from an absence of fear, but an abundance of faith. So finally, God, Gideon says, okay, no more tests. I'll do what you've asked me to do. So God tells Gideon to take himself and anyone who would go to where the Midianites had camped. So Gideon and 32,000 of his best show up at the Midian camp. I'm sure the Israelites, there was a bunch of them that were really tired of the Midianites' shenanigans and were ready to kick them out of the land, finally. But before the battle gets started, God tells Gideon he has too many people with him. If they beat the Midianites, then somebody's surely going to say, oh, it was us that did it, and God says he wants all the credit. Isn't it just like God? You finally say yes to the thing he's been asking you to do, and he takes away all the abilities and resources that you might depend on or put your trust in. He tells Gideon to go to everyone there and tell them if anyone is fearful and trembling to return home. 22,000 people left for home. Two-thirds, 22,000 people. Imagine what Gideon must be thinking. You asked me to do this, and then you take away most of the resources I have to do it. God's way is not our way. But if we will obey, he will win every time. But God doesn't stop there. He tells Gideon there's still too many people. And he gives him some more instruction. Take the 10,000 left and go to the river to drink. Those that put their heads down to the water and drink out of the river can go home. Those who hold their head up and drink out of their hands are the ones that God's going to use to defeat the Midianites. Guess how many that was? 300. Okay, so we've gone from 32,000 to 300. I'm sure Gideon's thinking, how am I supposed to do this now? But God is trying to tell him that he is not supposed to do this. God wants everyone to know it was God who did it, no doubt. The same thing is he's trying to tell us today. We aren't supposed to do his will in our power. We're supposed to do his will in his power. God wants us to see that he can and will deliver us even though we are few and the odds are stacked against us. But God doesn't stop there. He still wants to show Gideon that he's got this. So he tells Gideon to sneak up on the Midianite camp, which the Bible says were like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. That's a lot of Midianites, and he's got 300 people. But they are people that, one, are not fearless. They passed the first test. And two, are watchful. They pass the second test. They will be watching and listening for the enemy of God. God's saying he doesn't need thousands. He only needs people who are able to let their faith win out over their fear and be aware of God and what the enemy is doing around them. 
God's good. And he tells Gideon to take a friend along if he's timid. Even at this point, God is understanding of Gideon's humanity. He is completely aware of our fear and timidity. He can and will use any of us if we're willing. A behind the scenes person like John Mark, an outcast like Rahab, a timid, unsure person like Gideon, and we'll see next week how he uses someone small like David. He acknowledges our failures and doesn't hate us or set us aside. He actually knows how to move in our lives so that our failures becomes his victory. Gideon does take a friend and they sneak up on a tent in the Midian camp and they hear the guys in the tent, they're talking. One of them is talking about a dream that he had and he's telling them all about this dream. Somebody else in the tent speaks up and he says, he knows what it means. And they're like, yeah, what does it mean? And he says, it means Gideon's on his way. And his God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Do you realize that even the enemy recognizes the authority and power and victory of the Holy One of Israel? Even the enemy knows. If the enemy knows, how can we not know? He saved us. He is with us. Gideon hears this and realizes, finally, God's told him one more time, I got this. So Gideon goes back to his 300 and tells them to take three things. Trumpets, empty jars, and torches in the jars. There's not a weapon among them. No swords, no nothing. Not even any armor. Did you hear that? God wanted them to know he's the father of creation and is the most creative among us. He can win regardless of what circumstances are. He's still doing that to us today. Have you ever noticed that things rarely get taken care of the way we want them to, expect them to, or think they should? But they do get taken care of in a way that only God can do. Gideon splits them up into three groups and surrounds the Midianites. He tells them that when, when he says they're supposed to blow their horns, break their jars, let their light shine, and shout from the top of their lungs for the Lord and for Gideon. No battles here. God told him to wait to do that until a time when it was the middle of the watch change. So, middle of the night, watch change a time of some lack of concentration on the enemy's part, maybe some vigilance on watching, maybe some sleepiness. So Gideon comes out and he says, go for it. And the 300 blow their trumpets, break their jars, let their light shine and yell for the Lord and for Gideon. Can you imagine being asleep in bed in the Midianite camp and all that happens to you? Like loud noises, trumpets, people yelling, things breaking, light all around. What are you going to do? They jump out of bed. They're frightened. They're like, oh, the enemy's here. They go running out. They start to kill everything that moves. But the only people there are other Midianites. They killed themselves. The people of God didn't have to lift a finger. And they hit and they fight and they fight and they fight and they're so scared they finally run away and Gideon chases after them. It is a complete rout. And the people of God, the children of Israel, didn't have to lift their hands. All they had to do was worship the Lord. 
The children of Israel were at peace for many years after that until they forgot and stopped worshiping God and another judge had to be called in. But that's a story for another day. There is so much in our world today that we could fear. War, disease, weather extremes, the economy, the opinions of others on social media. Makes you wanna go hide in a wine press actually when you read it out like that. But God doesn't want that. He's given us everything we need to make a difference. And the biggest thing he's given us is himself. He's the one sending us and he's gonna be with us. All he needs from us on this earth is feet, hands, and a voice. He has the plan and he has the power. He needs us to execute. And he's placed tools in our hands like Gideon had trumpets, jars, and torches. Second Timothy 1.7 says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. These are the three tools that, the God, that God has given us to fight fear. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit has come to live in you. And he's the one that brings us the power we need to step away from our fears and into our calling and then obey the instructions of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the power. We have the love of the Father. The Father's love is full of grace and mercy and acceptance and healing. If we choose to step out in faith, no matter what happens, succeed or fail, he will never stop loving us and his love is never ending and never failing. His love moves through us to those around us and just loving, sometimes loving the unlovable wins many battles. He has given us his love and we have the self-control of Jesus. Jesus was a man of such self-control that he never gave into sin or fear or turned his back on the responsibilities that the Father had given him while he walked here on earth. While walking the same walk we walk every day now. He even said we had the ability to do greater things than he did. If we are a child of God, we have all access to all three to conquer fear. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, himself. He's gonna fight the battle and he always wins. We just have to believe and obey. That's all he asked of Gideon. And God did it in a way that no one, not even Gideon, can take credit for it. It was all God. He always shows up and shines out like that. The people got freedom from seven years oppression, came back to right worship with God, and God got all the credit. He'll do the same through us if we'll just believe him and obey. He'll give us freedom and peace and victory, but he wants the glory. That's a fair trade for me. I'll take freedom, peace, and victory and give him glory any day. I'll leave you with this today. Remember my story at the beginning about my husband and passing and how afraid I was? The only thing I had for certain was my faith in God and the knowledge that he was with me and that he was the one who brought me up here so he was certainly not gonna forget me. Fast forward five years. 
and look at me today. My life is so rich. You're my family here. You've welcomed me and helped me heal from the grief. Not that grief ever really goes away, but it does get managed. I have invested in this community, especially the young people, and helping those who live here grow and become all that God has created them to be. I'm standing in this pulpit delivering the word of God. This is a lifelong dream and a promise from God. I surrendered to full-time ministry at 13. All because I chose to believe and obey and surrender my life and anything good to come out of it to God. You might be thinking right now, it would be pretty cool to see the difficulties and dark places in your life currently turned around and become something not only that brings you into the light, but also spreads light to all those around you. You might say that you don't have the faith to believe that it's possible because you've never given your life to God. Or you did it so long ago and you strayed so far away. You might not even be sure about this church thing, but if you're willing to take the chance and believe in his son and give God your life, then I would like to pray for you. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's looking around. If that's you and you'd like to give your life to God or like to come back to God, would you please raise your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. People of God, please pray this prayer with me and with all those hands that are raised. We don't pray alone here. And it never hurts to reaffirm your faith and surrender to God. Every time we pray this on Sundays, I really mean the words. I don't just say them. I affirm the truth of them. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your resurrection and the new life I have in you. Now I give you my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Turn me back to you. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo, hallelujah. Angels are singing in heaven right now for those who've come into the faith. Thank you guys so much. We worship you, God. We love you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you connected with this sermon, share it with a friend. You can find us on all social media platforms and YouTube, or visit us on Sunday in person at two locations in Norwalk and three service times. Have a great week.